Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Welcome. This is the podcast, So There I Was. So There I Was. Which is how all great aviation stories all of them. begin. All of them. And this is episode 41, titled, That's Not a Tanker. <laughs> or more likely, That's Not a Tanker! That's not a <laughs> Don't try What a that. great story. Uh, this is Bo, and he is a F-14 Rio radar intercept officer. Uh, backseater and F-14, so he's a uh, goose, right? Yeah, exactly. He was goose. Exactly. And he was our first uh, Rio, and he had a bunch of great stories Absolutely. as well. Uh, somewhere and he survived absolutely. unlike Goose, um, but he gets into that a little bit. And somewhere yeah. around all the fingers and toes, he lost count of all the friends he lost over the years, um, including one of their, was it his second cruise they said? That he he said second they started out and lost lost two or three airplanes right away. Yeah, the second cruise was brutal, and yeah, he tell no, he talks about some of those uh, some of those uh, stories and lost um, squadron mates. It's rough. That's yeah. the rough part, right? And the ones that survived. That's not a shark. <laughs> yeah, that's another good one. <laughs> was that a shark? Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> well, what is it? Seems to me that every F fourteen pilot's mind goes right to sharks as soon as right. they hit the water. It seems like you know what that's been a common that's been a common theme, hasn't it? It really has. <laughs> Those guys also train in the most shark-infested waters on right. Southern California. So. <laughs> I'm glad you we think can they've learned. About this. <laughs> I'm just glad we're laughing about this. Exactly right. Oh, oh well, yeah. please enjoy. You're gonna like it. Make sure you're not sitting on the ejection handle, folks. Here comes Through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, you're not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was. That's how all great aviation tales begin. Repeat here, coming to you from New Hampshire this afternoon, and I'm jo joined by my co-host, Fig. Where are you today, sir? Well, I'm in sunny Kearney, Missouri, which is basically Kansas City, where the Chiefs are going to play the uh, Cincinnati Bengals today in the AFC Championship. That's just a side note. You can probably do Conference that. Championship Sunday. I got you. <laughs> all right. But I am happy to say uh, we have a f another first with us today. We yes, have we uh, our first F-14 Rio, Bo. Welcome, Bo. Good to be here with you guys. Yeah. Bo, what is a Rio anyway, besides a river in Spanish? <laughs> so it's a radar intercept officer that uh, was in the back of the F-14 and the F-4. Uh, they changed a WSO, or weapon system officer, when they went to the Hornet. Okay. Okay. Fancy. Sounds so complicated. So so for the uh so for the uh unanointed uh, amongst our listeners, uh, Bo is Goose from Top Gun. <laughs> Sorry, Bo. Everybody survived. <laughs> <laughs> except Bo except Bo's a guy, Bo's alive. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So Bo was originally one of our listeners and reached out to us and we chatted a little bit and went, Wow, this guy has got some great aviation tales so here wait. he is you know can't wait um, 
Let's back up, though, just a little bit and ask where it is that you got your interest in aviation, uh, how it is you wound up uh, getting down to Pensacola and, and becoming a, a Rio and a naval flight officer. And, uh, and then we'll get into some of those really cool stories because you did a lot of the the nasty flying on and off the carriers. Uh, <laughs> no offense to the nasty. A lot of the hard flying. That's uh, some of the most difficult aviation in the world, on and off the carrier. Um, and then doing it when you're uh, sweaty, miserable, hot, exhausted, all that Night. good stuff. All right, I'm done talking. How'd you get into aviation, sir? So I was an Air Force brat. My dad was a flying crew chief on B-36s and B-52s. Um, so I was hooked from an early age, and I wanted to go fly. In fact, I was devastated in second grade when I had to get glasses because I knew I couldn't be a pilot. So I kind of shelved that for a while, you know, um, and then um, went to the uh, University of Texas and I was an athletic trainer. So I was going to do that, I thought, for my living. And I was walking through the school one day and there was this uh, guy in whites uh, who ended up being a leader of the Blue Angels later on, Duster. And he's standing there with these white uniform and ribbons up to his shoulder and these big, bright gold wings, you know, and I went, huh, Hmm. because I had talked to the Air Force earlier and they go, well, we don't have any flying billets. And my dad said, if you aren't flying, don't go in the Air Force as an officer. So I walked over and talked to Duster and uh, he goes, yeah, we got seats and you can fly in F-14s or a6s or whatever you want to fly and oh by the way just see if you like it we're going to take you up in a t-34 bravo that we have out here at the airport and i was hooked so put in my papers applied got accepted became an avrock so aviation reserve officer candidate okay which is uh what that means is the second i put my hand up when i was a sophomore the clock started ticking for pay Nice. Hey, yeah, yeah. but cool. time in service. Right. Uh, right. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Right. Oh, so yeah. when you got commissioned as an ensign, you were already an ensign with three years as opposed to. Well, it was two, two by the years. time yeah. I did it. Yeah. Because I, I went pretty quick. So then uh, AOCS for eight weeks, get done, go back. I had a semester to finish, finish that up. January, I was uh, of 81. I was back down there, did my last eight weeks, which was the big three land survival, all that good stuff. And then, uh, got commissioned and then, uh, you know, that, that got me there. And then I went to, uh, I was stashed for a while in a fleet squadron and then I went to start flight school. Okay. Nice. Oh, good old land survival. Eat any snakes out of Eglin, Eglin air force base? No, no, but we caught an armadillo. Oh. All right. Yeah. A little greasy. How do you cook one of those? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Lots of water and cause you got rice. There you go. <laughs> Nice. And then when we did the land navigation piece, and I'd been a Boy Scout, so I knew how to do that stuff, but we had yeah. Marine, two Marine guys in our group, and we said, and they had just come okay. from TBS. So we go, you guys know how to do this, you do it. So they got us <laughs> to where we had to be to get picked up. So nice. Nice. Remember walking the woods of Quantico with a compass and. Oh, boy, I'm glad those days are over. Hey, Bo, uh, I, I'm assuming since you didn't mention it. Um, uh, so we we had an episode uh, that was uh, we had Gunny Go on, and he spent a bunch of years as a uh, drill instructor down there in Pensacola. I'm assuming if you if you had contact with him, you would have said something. 
I did not. I w- he was after me. So okay, okay. my drill instructors were Sergeant Blythe, United States Marine Corps, and Gunnery Sergeant Thixton, United States Marine Corps. Because <laughs> I had two different classes, so two different drill instructors. I do that. Nice. Yep. Thixton's yep. been mentioned. Uh, God rest his soul, recently passed. Yes. But, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And I Very followed him. Man. I mean, talk about an amazing guy. He's the one I graduated with. And he stayed in touch with us. Really? You know, before the days of Facebook or any of that, you know, I remember sitting in San Diego one one evening and I got a phone call and it's Gunny Thixon, you know, you know, I didn't know you could sit at attention on your own couch at home when the voice comes over the phone. <laughs> right. But you can. <laughs> it's a reflex. You're not even realizing you're doing it. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's amazing. No kidding. Yeah. The terror of those yeah. men struck in our hearts. Yep. God bless them. <laughs> oh, but you know what? I they had a job to do and they did it well, and uh, that's all I can say. I mean, you know, absolutely. I mean, they the taught us attention to detail, getting mm-hmm. okay with being uncomfortable, and all that kind of stuff. And those mm-hmm. things, at some point, probably saved each of our lives. Oh yeah. Well, Bo, we've okay. never had an NFO on before, so I I got a couple questions to ask you about training specifics if if you okay. if you're ready to go with that so sure uh, we're, we're we're all pretty uh, familiar with uh, a pilot um track you know through Oops. flight training what's what's uh give me some bullets what's the difference for nfos sure so we go to vt10 and uh, and vt10 is both our basic and intermediate training okay uh, and so Basic goes, you go through all the ground school and you have five flights. And back in my day, it was all in the T2. Okay. So your first flight is in a jet with a G suit, mask, the whole shooting match. Oh, wow. And so you do five flights. Uh, there's like the intro, acro, you do a low level, you do a um, do one or two uh, instrument nav flights. And then at the at the five, that's where the P three guys and C one thirty guys leave if they want to go. If you know you want to go jets, because they always have more people wanting P threes than they have seats, you just really? keep okay. going. So I told them, oh yeah, after you know all these guys want to fly F 14s and then they get their first flight, you know, do acro and they're suddenly want to go P three. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't want any part of that jet thing. Yeah, um, so. Um, I said, I wanted to, I'm going F-14s or I'm going jets. You know, you don't want to advertise too much. And so they just kept me flying. So I actually was flying like my third or fourth intermediate hop the day my class graduated from basic. Um, where they select out and guys go P3 and then the guys who didn't get it, they pick up. So you go all the way through that. And at the end of that, uh, you select, uh, so the E2 guys leave and go to the rag and they get their wings in the rag. And then uh, the rest of us who aren't going E2. So you either go F14 or the Rio. Yeah. You go, uh, you go TN tactical navigation, or you go OJN overwater jet navigation back in my day. Okay. So OJNs were going to go to S3s. TNs were going to go to A6s or EA6s. And then Rios were going to either F14s or F4s. Cause there's still some F4s. Uh, in the fleet. Okay. And then you go over there, ground school, and then you start flying in the vomit wagon um, because the you're in the T-39 in the back, all the windows closed, and you're flying intercepts using an old F-8 radar. 
So, so you're in a and, tube with no windows, is what you're saying? Yeah. So you, oh so <laughs> there's three students that go every time with an instructor. One starts out in the front right, and he does a departure, and then you know, first Rio on the radar does does the intercepts. He gets done. He transitions up to the front to do the the recovery. You know, basically, you know, the approach and landing. So yeah. back and being a co-pilot for that. And so you do that and there's a ton of them. You go all through all those different ones. Um, and then real quick TNs, they ha- are in the same kind of tube, but they have, I think an a seven radar and they did all their, uh, radar nav, you know, so f- yeah, low level stuff, low levels. Yeah, yeah. On radar to get to the target. Okay. And for our listeners, a T 39 is similar to a, uh, a Learjet. If that's, it's this actual saber liner is what yeah, it actually yeah. is. It's a saber yeah. 40, I think. 60, 40. Yeah. It's a, it's an old business jet. Yeah. So you get through that and then you go to the A4 and that's where you do your, uh, BFM. So you do unusual attitudes and then you do basic fighting maneuver. Two students, uh, in the back seats, you know, obviously pilots in the front and you call the fight. Uh, so you, fl- you basically fly the airplane from the back seat by verbal command and, uh, you get through that and you get your wings and now you're off to the fleet. Wow. Nice. Okay. Yeah, and how long is that process from start to finish Let's from the see. time you become an ensign to the time you have your wings out a year. Okay. okay. So on it's- how fast you can get through. Cause you don't have to worry about boat going to the boat right. like the pilots do. Um, and so it, it, it can go pretty fast as, as long as the, the pipe's clear. So, yeah, so but you know, can cram a lot of knowledge into your brain in a year. I mean, so that, that tells me that it's, it's not just a quick, Hey, here's an airplane, get used to riding in an airplane and start right. talking. This is a, I mean, it's a true graduate level program that they put you through. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the other thing, like the pilots, they couldn't fly, you know, like in basic, if the weather is bad, well, that didn't affect us unless we were on a low level. Yeah. Uh, and we, oh, a sure. lot of our flying is just instrument flights. Uh, okay. so doing all those procedures and talking on the radio and running all the nav. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And if you aren't held up nearly as much for uh, the VFR flying. Yeah. So, so you get to the, uh, you get your wings, you get out to the F-14, you have to go to the drag just like the pilot zone, right? You don't just right. go, here's an F-14. Okay. Right. What's so yeah, you so you check into the rag and it's no different than a pilot checking in. So you're assigned to a class and usually equal number of pilots and Rios in the class. Uh, you don't fly together, but but you all your section work. So for example, you know, you got on your section flight, you know, you got a student Rio, if you will, in the back seat. Uh, and then you got the pilot is in the front seat of the wing aircraft and you go through all that. Um, uh, and then for the boat, we don't go to the boat with the pilots, but we will typically for the senior officers coming through that are going to go to the boat with your class, mm-hmm. you get to ride in the back seat for the bounce pattern. Oh, okay. Oh, fun times. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then, uh, nice. then, the sun, uh, then, uh, I think all of our, the Rios in my class, we all walked aboard the ship and then we got some traps with the LSOs. Uh, and that was first, 
that's the first time you've ever had a cat shot or you've had a trap is oh, wow. in the rag at the end. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Okay. So your first time at the boat is with an LSO. So a guy who's very experienced around the boat. Or with an experienced pilot. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, uh, okay. I got it. I got a, I got a, I got a, uh, I got a need to know, uh, Bo in the back seat of an F-14, do you have instruments like the pilots got in the front attitude indicator and all that? So you can back up nav and. Well, so in the F-14, the reel is responsible for running the nav. Uh, And then I've got all instrumentation. So I've got, I don't have the great attitude indicator that he does unless I pull up repeat off of his onto my TID. Okay. I do have a standby attitude instrument. I got altimeter, airspeed indicator. Um, You know, we have the IFF in the back just um, so you're not going flying without us. Sure. uh, Type thing. (laughs) Uh, Well, you can, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, we align the INS, the IMU, which runs all the, you know, helps run the attitude uh, indicators. So you're going to need all that to go fly. Yeah. And that was all pre-GPS. So you needed that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. At the end of my career, we had GPS. It was, we were holding a brick in our hand. Wow. Flying missions. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's, that's old. That's got old, that's old school for right. real. No yeah. Kidding. To give people an idea the difference between INS and GPS. When I first got on with the airlines, we had INSs in all the airplanes and we would, you know, fly across the ocean and you'd see another airplane going the other way along on the same track. And he'd be a half mile away, a mile away, something like that. Once we got to GPS and everybody using GPS, I mean, you're within a wingspan of the airplane going the other way. They're right over you, right over each other. So an, an INS is an inertial nav unit. It uses gyros and all that kind of stuff to tell you where you are. And it keeps you within a couple miles over the course of many hours. GPS keeps you within three feet forever, as long as it's receiving. So I relinquish the floor. Oh, no problem. I rest my case, Your Honor. <laughs> so the very first time you went to the boat, mm-hmm. you were in your fleet squadron. Or, or actually, no, that's not true. You went to the boat in the rag with an experienced LSO. And actually, I cheated when I was a stash. I was in a fighter squadron and we went to sea and they got me a ride in a EA six B. Okay. And they got me a ride in an E two. So I had done, I had two cats and two traps before I went to flight school. And so, but in the, yeah, but in the F 14, yeah, I, I, I think I reported to my fleet squadron. I think we got, I think I got four traps and four cats. So I got zip squat experience coming to the squadron from the back seat of an F-14 coming aboard the ship. What kind of visibility do you have? Good. I can see the wall. Okay. Uh, And actually certain pilots want certain things on, on the landing, like somewhat VSI. Well, I don't have a VSI indicator in my, in the back seat, but I can read the pilots by looking over his left shoulder. So I give, if he wants (laughs) VSI, I'm giving it to him there. Which allows him to keep the scan going, you know, meatball lineup angle attack. Yeah. Um, and then also, if I want to make sure the gear's down and the flaps are down and all that, I have to look over his left shoulder to see the, the uh, gear indicator. Well, be darn. So I was, that answers another one of my questions. You didn't have a, there wasn't a duplicate gear in the back. No. Okay. Well, well what about, uh, I guess, before we go on to some of the other fleet stuff, do you, 
Do you recall what you were thinking about the first time you took a cat shot yeah, or the first trap? Yeah. Because that was, uh, I was screaming like a little girl on my first cat shot. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was too. I'm in an EA6B, so I'm in the family truckster, right? In right. the back, I was in the back right seat, and there was a guy in the back left seat next to okay. me. And, you know, he's he is a qualified NFO, and the last thing I want to do is look like an idiot in front of him. So, uh, yeah, I don't think I screamed. I just was like, I'm going to take this like a man no matter what happens next, <laughs> you know, type thing. And so... Yeah. All I remember is it's like, holy cow, yeah. you know, the, just the thump in your chest and all that. Um, and then, you know, the trap in the E6B, you have no forward visibility from the back. Oh, oh my so you're just looking out the side and it's like water, 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 steel, bang. And then you're into your harness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and if you don't remember to lock your harness, you're going to eat a lot of, uh, dash yeah. there yeah. in front of you right no kidding i did that the same thing with the e2 <laughs> yeah i don't think i was screaming so much out of, out of fear but out of uh it was a forcing the air out of my lungs and then b yeah. out of elation like oh my god eee, yeah. that was so fun <laughs> oh yeah yeah you know what yeah. what's the saying i'll i'll pay for day traps but that's why they pay me for the night traps right on fair enough yeah. oh yeah Absolutely. that's a fair statement i, I having okay. never done a night trap i i can only imagine just based on everyone i know that's done it yeah i don't know whether yeah. it was jake or pester who said that every time he landed he was an f-14 pilot got out every time he got out at night after a, a landing on the carrier his knees were shaking every time without <laughs> fail. Right, clear night good night yeah no. i know right it, it, it never fails it's the it's the blackest of black you i can't describe how dark it is I mean, yeah. where people can understand it. Yeah. Um, but uh, there was a, a great line. Quick, quick side note. We had a one of our guys in the uh, was having his night in the barrel, right? Uh, yeah. I wasn't flying yeah. with him. It was just one. Of, in fact, it was a guy who came to the squadron with me. And he finally traps, right? And he's coming out of the L.A. And, and the air boss comes up on the radio and goes, go five, follow your director, follow your director. And he goes, I'm doing my best. My knees are shaking. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Oh, that's great. It. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. His night in the barrel. That's yeah. a good story. Oh, everybody has them. Yep. Yeah, that's, yep. what, that's what we heard. We talked about that, yeah. So nighttime, it's always bad. We chatted ahead of time. We have a question. Was that a shark? Talking about a nighttime ejection behind the boat. Elaborate if you would, sir. Sure. So it, it wasn't me. So I uh, actually have landings are equal to takeoffs. Nobody saw me. Um, you can't prove a thing, right? Is that true? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so it actually was my roommate who was on the beach who was in my sister's squadron. They were an F-14 single engine coming back to the boat at night. I actually was in the ready room and he saw his ejection. Didn't realize it was him. Oh. And actually, we didn't even realize it was an ejection at first because we're talking the 80s. So black camera technology. But anyway, they're in there. And what happened was the interconnect valve in the F-14 failed. It didn't open up. F-14 NATOPS, the two fuel systems that feed each engine are independent okay. for battle damage type thing. Okay. And his operating was getting there and they couldn't transfer any, transfer any fuel over there. There's an interconnect valve that opens up that allows fuel to go over so you can take from the non-operating side. Well, they didn't open so they basically ran out of, they flamed out. Oh, shit. So close. 
just right around three quarters of a mile or so. So, so they were coming the back aboard the ship on one motor Dingling anyway. Team. Yes, yes. Is that is and that then, a normal thing? Because I would yeah. think, uh, oh shit, okay. Yeah, um, that I got to do that later. Okay. We'll talk about that later. Okay. So anyway, boom, boom. You know, pull the handle out. He goes. It's like that. Oh shit, I'm alive. You know, because he got out and shoot open and all that. Right. So he's like looking around. He's like. Okay, there's the airplane. He watched the flying water. He sees his pilot, and he's like, "Oh shit, I got stuff to do here." So he in, <laughs> yeah. starts inflating. He releases re- releases his raft. He gets his mask off, and he hits the water. Pops his cokes. Shoot goes away. Now remember, he released that. If you remember on the seat pan, you know the bottom's got to fall all the way down before it inflates your raft yeah it like pulls right. a pin so that the raft auto inflates right, right? yeah right, okay. right right since he didn't do it that high above the water right so the bottom of the seat pan continues to sink and so he's in the water it's night it's dark he's looking around he's like trying to find all this stuff right and now it's reached the bottom and tugged and so the raft is inflating and slowly rising up from the bottom <laughs> it opens it basically unfolds next to him. And he's like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) He thought it was Jaws for sure, right? So so then he's like, it's just my raft. So he grabs onto the raft. So the helo's now coming over. So the helo gets over and says, why not get in the raft? Because I'm just going to get out of it. And if we all remember from water survival, it's not an easy little thing to get into that thing. No, there's there's a very good, there's a technique involved. Right. So he's... He's like, oh, I'm not going to get in because they're just going to have me sink it anyway. So he doesn't get in it. So they get over him and then they leave and they go over to the pilot. So now he's like, shit, I'm getting cold. So I'm going to get into this thing. So he finally does what he has to, fights his way, gets in. About that time, the helo's back over him again, right? So he, I think he's been in the raft maybe two minutes. Swimmer comes down, get out of your raft, you know. They plunge it and then pick him up. Well, because of all that time in the cold water off of SoCal, okay, he became hypothermic and therefore got the call sign hypo. Right. Nice. Anybody who's ever dipped a toe in the water off of Southern California will quickly realize that that water is stinking cold all year long. Yes, it's it not is. pleasant, warm water in the summer. So, no. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> oh my God, shark. We had another guy who said he was sitting in the raft one night, and uh, where are they off of San Clemente, Fig? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah they're the coming Hilo off came, of yeah, yeah. Hilo came and looked at him and then left. He's like, wait, where are you going? <laughs> hey, what about me? Yeah, right. <laughs> they later, he later found out, well, they, they, they just you know marked him and said, we got to go get gas. I, he said, I would have gone with you. Yeah, happy to go. What the hell? But that's a big Pacific Ocean. You also find yourself transiting that a few times. Do you get dragged across by what kind of tankers? I'm, I'm assuming you were going to Japan. My question ultimately is, how'd you wind up in Wake Island? But how'd you get there in the first place? Well, I didn't get there by flying across. I was actually operating off the ship. So hmm. Hmm. we were steaming. And so it was, it was one of those things where the pilot I was crewed with, uh, who had been a prior RF-8 guy, but it was his first cruise in Tomcats. So I think between the two of us, we had 500 hours total in the airplane at that point. So we were crewed together, go out and get his night call because he was due. So 
We manned up our steady steed and it went down in the chocks. So we go back down to the ready room and they go, okay, you're a spare for this next flight. And we manned up a spare. They didn't shoot the spare. So we get back down. So now we're on the last event of the night and we got an airplane that had had a right generator failed and then wouldn't reset in the air, but they thought they had fixed it. And so that's what they gave us. So we man up that trusty steed and off we go. And we're flying with the OPSO and EXO or is on the we're on their wing, right? So we're out there doing AIC and the pilot I was flying with, he was our NATOPS officer. So he was infamous for grilling you in the air when it was a boring AIC flight, just to make sure you're staying smart on the airplane. So he goes, Hey, I've got uh, oil pressure going to zero here on the left motor. Okay. So I'm like, well, there's like, well, if it goes down to 10%, what to do? Set the certain RPM. And I go, you know, verify. And he goes, yeah, it's going to zero. And at that time, I was like, are you, are you messing with me? Is this part like NATOP's checking me? He goes, no, this is real. And I go, oh, okay. So I got the PCL out. So we make the decision, tell, call our wingman, tell him what's going on, make the decision, shut down the left motor. Because we didn't want it to seize, because then that's just a big old speed break on the right side, big drag monster for you. So a little background, the five previous single-engine Tomcats at the boat at all ended up with ejections. Oh, oh so, so yeah. Those aren't good odds. Yeah, they went on to join that club. So the left motor's off, the right motor's running. So it's like one of those things like, well, combines on the left. So I'm like telling them, get the probe out, which is not a procedure thing, but it's a lesson learned from one of those so they could get gas. So we put the probe out. And then remember I told you there was that right generator that, was failing and they thought they'd fixed it. Well, they did. Right generator goes off. So now we're on the emergency generator, which is run by hydraulics, the left motor, which means it's now the left hydraulics are being run by the bi-directional pump. So we're compounding. I mean, I have more, my fingers are in more spots of the PCL to do all the different emergency procedures. So, you know, I'm calling the boat saying, hey, uh, we're single engine, no right (laughs) generator, kind of got, need to come in and land and they're like, okay, we'll, we'll set you up for a straight end. And so they're doing all this stuff. We're getting ready. The CATSI reps talking to us, the EXO and OPSO are talking to us. We're getting everything squared away. So we get lined up. Remember I told you how we had so many flights. Well, one of the things is when I was waiting to brief again, mm-hmm. they said something about we were going to make our closest point of approach to Wake Island that night. And I'm like, ah, okay. So I, I pulled out the IFR supplement, right? Cause that's, there's nice. no approach, nothing. Right. Pull it out, yep. read all about Wake Island. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting to know. Little did I realize that was going to pay me dividends later on. So <laughs> anyway, we get set up, dirty up, patrolability checks. Everything's good. We're three quarters of a mile, call the ball, call the ball. We're coming in. Everything's going well. And he's having to stand on a, a boot load of rudder you know, on the right side with the right motor running and the left motor not running. So he, which is a little bit more. So we start developing a drift in coming in close. Um, and all I know is, is we're probably, we're, we're at the in close position and all he, well, he does a control uh, correction and the hydraulics are prioritized to flight control. So when he does that, we dump our generator to the low side. So we lose the radios, all of our external lights go off other than our probe light. Paddles is like, they got nothing to look at. Yeah. Over the ICS, I hear, shit, shit, shit. And I'm like, 
and I got, I have no cockpit light. So I got my flashlight. So I'm like, grab for the handle, put my flashlight. It's like <laughs> attitude's good. Altitude's holding airspeed's 150. That's good. So I'm like, you know, we're not descending, you know, I'm, I'm just telling him to, I mean, we got this litany going, we're not descending airspeed's holding, you know, we're not, you know, it's not decaying. Right. So yeah. I'm just talking me through that. Well, <laughs> He plugs in the right blower. He's taking his own wave off. Uh, later on, when we heard the plat, the LSOs were like screaming, you know, to wave it off type thing. Yeah, but you couldn't hear him because the generator kicked off. We couldn't hear him because we lost that right. primary radio. And the nothing? only radio operating was the front seat radio, which was on squadron common. So we didn't hear anything. Yeah. Shit. So it's just the two of us. So he starts the wave off. And then I feel this shutter. And I'm like, okay. You know, so right now I'm just, I'm giving me the litany. Okay. Airspeed's increasing. We're starting to climb. Things are good. As we're starting to climb away from the water, I go, did you jettison? He goes, no. I go, okay. I don't know what that shutter was. Well, it comes to find out what happened was our tail hook took out the Fresnel lens. No. Oh, whoa. No wonder no. they were screaming. <laughs> well, when, when they were debriefing us, one of the things I said was, you know, when we got to our lowest point before we started climbing away, I looked to the right at the ship and I said, it was like I was going on down cat five for that. That's how low we were. So anyway, so we trundle on up into the uh, going up to 1200 feet. Well, you can't turn into the dead engine. So we're going everybody normally turns left. We're turning right. You know, we get 1,200 feet, turn right, go downwind. Meanwhile, he does the reset, so we get this stuff back. The loss of electricity scrambled all my presets, so I had to go back in and put them in. So I finally get up on land launch, and I go, we're a beam on the right side. Because everybody, if you say you're a beam, they think you're on the left side. Yeah. And so there's this immediate about face to find us. They can't see us. So we're, like, all squared away. We got uh, pretty good gas. I happen to know... We're close to bingo to wake, right? So they we say, okay, hey, we're ready to come back aboard. And they go, yeah, we can't do that. You got to take a barricade. Was, yeah, it, because of the, was it because of the lens? Be, well, no, because a part of our landing gear, in this case, our hook, had touched something other than the flight deck. Okay. Oh, it's in so CDA tops. You got, yeah. they don't okay. know what, if there's they any damage, damage to it. Or not. Yeah. 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 So, so Whether your hook's going to work or not. Yeah. Oh, so you're going to take a barricade. So we're like, um, and we said, well, ha what about divert to wake? And they go, yep. Your pigeons are, which is, you know, the yep. he heading. heading. And we were right at the right fuel state for that. So I've already, and I had the bingo profile already pulled, you know, I had that open. So nice. I give it to him. So we, he hits a profile. We're, we're climbing on that. And there's like, we're sending a tanker to you. And I said, don't come off the profile. Not that he was going to. And the A6 guy who was going to give us, because there've been guys who were on bingo profile and they go, Hey, we're sending you a tanker. And they stopped the profile. Uh, and then the tanker was sour and they ran out of gas. Right. So yeah. we're, we're, we're not going to make that mistake. And so great going. guy. And unfortunately he's passed, um, um, in the a six, uh, the pilot, he was a, a department head who everybody knew in Aaron. Great guy. He goes, stay on your profile. I'll join you. You know, normally you join the tanker. He's like, right. I'll join you. 
And no shit. Here comes this A6 up on our, he asked for our profile. We told him what it was. He found us. You see him come up on our left side. You see the hose coming out behind him as he's getting in there. He slides right in front of us. And literally it was a wink. Wow. Plug in. That's, and that's we take impressive, it. right? Yeah. I mean, you know, that Very guy nice. never bought a beer if T-Square and I were in the club. <laughs> nice. No know. kidding. So we take some gas, which gives us insurance. Right and on. so now we're just now we're just flying to Wake, and we're waiting until we get into radio range of Wake Island. So for those who haven't been to Wake, Wake doesn't have a control tower. Wake doesn't have air traffic control guys. They've got some airfield operation guys who answer the radio. Right. right. So we finally get in range, so I call in to them. And I go, uh, you know, we're a single engine Tomcat. We got ordnance on board because we had one Phoenix, one Sparrow, one Sidewinder on the airplane. And, uh, you know, I'm guessing they don't land. have any ordnance men on, on the island either. <laughs> no, they don't. But they have a nice lagoon that they point you at once you they get you towed over there. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we are we're coming. So I go, uh, you know, typical thing, you know, I don't know. They're not air traffic control guys. So I said, what? Uh, runway are we landing on and they go which one do you want to land on uh you know and there's one way so you either land from the south to the north or you're land, you know north to south so i'm like okay well we'll take because where we're coming from we'll take the you know south to north land and so i said hey i understand you have resting gear is it in battery and they go well the resting gears uh installed but it hasn't been tested yet would you like to test it uh no <laughs> how about that so yeah so it's like no nah, that's okay <laughs> don't worry about that just roll the crash crew and they, they do have they do have full fire department there so we come in wow. dirty up land and and once we get on the ground you know we're talking to them they don't have anybody who knows how to um pin an airplane pin an f-14 or safe the weapon so we safe up top and bottom um you know, T-square stays on there. I pop all my fittings, get out, walk off, go off the tail of the airplane on the left side because that motor shut down, obviously. Uh, right motor still running. Uh, go out, get all of our gear pins, pin the airplane. Thank God I watch all the plane captains do it all the time. <laughs> Did that, safe the weapons, and then uh, he shut down, and then we got out. And, uh, yeah, so we safely... We're there, and then later on, what we found out was there was a seal that failed, and so the main uh, shaft of the engine was going out of center, and we were uh, it was tearing blades off, and then we were losing oil out where the seal had failed. Oh. So they were still finding uh, stator uh, blades from our engine like two weeks later on fod walkdowns of the runway at Wake. Oh, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Wait, hey, what yeah. what time of what time of night was this, Bo? That all this went down. Um. Well, I I think it started around ten o'clock at night. Was what time? Did and you then take down? How, how long was uh, it? To, to, for, uh, it was it was probably. I think by the time we got to the BOQ room, it was like midnight. Okay. Or it could have been later. Yeah. It's it's been a while and a few beers since then. All right. Well, you you uh, you used a couple of acronyms, and and I, and I want to make sure we we cover those. So you said you were on an AIC mission. 
can you air intercept control so that's just you just did defense uh, of the fleet yeah out, out yeah you get you go out and either go up and down a radial or if you have a controller from the ship who's getting his uh, controls you might split and they just you take about a 30 mile split turn into each other and at max conserve it takes forever to run the intercept and you just run an intercept um on the other airplane okay and you talked about using your pcl and your fingers all in yeah. that, that was oh yeah awesome. what's pocket that checklist yeah. okay the, it's all your emergency the mini blue pill right yeah. Yeah, the mini blue pill, but it it affects sleep, not uh, not yeah. sexual arousal. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. So there is a uh, so we we have the NATOPS manual, uh, which each aircraft has a NATOPS Naval Aviation Training and Operation Procedures manual that covers all the systems, right. emergency yep. procedures. Mm-hmm. Well, pilots and rios carry a miniature version, which is um, fits in the G suit pocket uh, that has yeah. our emergency procedures and probably some performance tables and stuff like that in it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Then you talked about knocking out the Fresnel lens, which is the meatball, which provides glide slope on final. Were you guys the only guys airborne? What would they do? Mm -hmm. Set up Moveless on the right side. Ah, okay. So, and the air wing had to fly that way for a week or so before (laughs) they got the main Fresnel. So, all right. Not only did we, not only did we hose up the landing (laughs) aid, but the only one available is on the right side. So everybody flies looking to the left at the ball. Oh, now they're having to look to the right for the ball. So there's, they got to retrain their scan oh, yeah, the whole time. Not right. Yeah. Like Thunderbird number two, always looking right. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's right. Oh, terrifying. <laughs> Just terrifying oh. having to do that. Oh, hey, how, how long were you guys in wake before, um, you know, they, they got your airplane? Or I guess... How long was the airplane awake, and had and wh- how long did it take you guys to get back to the ship? Well, funny you should ask that. So the next day, we get a message from the ship, and T squared. It was his turn to go to base office to see if there was anything for us, right? So he comes back and he goes, "I got good news and bad news. What do you want?" And I go, "What's the good news?" He goes, uh, "They're sending an S three to to pick me up." And I said. <laughs> What's the bad news? He goes, well, you're PMCF qualified, so you get to stay with the airplane, and they're going to send a pilot back with a, a rescue crew to, you know, of the Transpac guys, they're going to send the pilot back with maintenance guys, and they're going to change the in- with an engine, and so you're going to stay here on the island until that gets fixed. I don't go, see how that's so, bad news. Just me. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing well, you got a really good... A feeling for what life's like on Wake Island. I got that figured out in about two hours. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do in the next three weeks? <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah, I, there was some fun adventures. So one was, nice. it was, I'm like, it's like two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. The phone rings in the BOQ room. I'm now occupying and, uh, answer the phone and it's, this is captain so-and-so of, you know, wherever and i go yes sir <laughs> and then he goes well uh you know you know he starts asking me all kinds of stuff about the airplane and i'm like yeah you know i don't know who you are and uh, you know so i do some inquiry just to make sure i'm not being you know a little opsecking here Oofed. yeah yeah and uh so finally he told me so he's like 
yeah, we're getting you a green sheet must ride engine in there. So we have an engine in there so we can get your airplane back up and running. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, and once it's coming, yeah, it's going to be on the next 141 into wake. Yeah. It never showed up. <laughs> so Great. it got held by air force Mac guys because the preservative in the heat had dripped out onto the plastic. So they had an unknown liquid in it. So they weren't going to fly. Oh, great. That finally got, he had to get somebody to go over from uh, Barber's point to make sure it wasn't, it wasn't a liquid. It was actually the preservative. And then they they finally flew it in. But so after T square gives me that great news, uh, then I'm staying. So then an F 14 and an S three show up and the S three has got a, couple of ordnance men and some equipment and they download the phoenix the sparrow and the winder they upload them on the other airplane and then t-square jumps in the s3 as a passenger and uh, they leave oh oh they were nice enough to send me a ditty bag so i had like a couple of changes of underwear and <laughs> got right. hit yeah you know, toothbrush and, <laughs> yeah, and t-shirt and shorts and that's it right and some some athletic shoes and i watched my Shipmates leave. Bye. <laughs> Don't forget me, please. But I learned a whole lot about Wake Island history. I bet you did. Yep. Actually, the guys were uh, that were the Air Force guys that were there. It was like a captain and a you know a first lieutenant were okay. they were in charge. Um, and then two days later, an F four squad, a Marine F four squadron, coming back from a pump, stopped in Wake. And uh, there's like three or four guys I went through flight school with her in there. Oh, and nice. The XO okay. of BT-86, who cool. was a Rio, was 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 uh, leading the charge of the guys coming back. So got to party with some fellow some old friends. aviators and yeah. old friends. And then they left. And then it became very boring. Yeah. but Some uh, of the best snorkeling in the world in the bay there, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, there is. And they, uh, the Air Force guys had a little thing set up right there on in the lagoon, which is between the, the two long extensions of the, of the island. We would go over there, and that was right next to the Japanese got rid of it. But it was the basement to the Pan Am Hotel. That's where the seaplanes would stay for Pan Am when right. they were going okay. across. And so it was kind of cool to go see that layout, and then they had pictures and stuff. So anyway. Just to drive this point home, what a small world it is in, in aviation. So mm-hmm. here you are marooned right. on this wake, on this island, Wake Island, in the middle of the Pacific with uh, a couple other people that work on the island. And then um, and friends wander through, huh? And then friends, <laughs> yeah. and then friends from, from some other part of the world just drop in and you guys have beer and have yeah. a little camaraderie. 2,000 yeah. miles from nowhere. Exactly. <laughs> happens. It yeah. happens so often. It's, you, can't, you can't name it, but boy, oh boy, it's a... Uh, a small world in aviation for real yeah well the epilogue of this thing is when the crew shows up the rio who had flown across who was a lieutenant commander he shows up with the pilot and i'm like what are you doing here he goes well we got to fly a profile after we fix this engine i said well that's why i was here that's when they go well you're not flying the profile you need to go on back so i ended up taking a c-130 to guam oh my and then a us-3 from guam to QB because the ship was in QB. And so after <laughs> spending after two all. weeks, I didn't even, yeah, exactly. I uh, get to QB, get a uh, cab or a base vehicle over to the carrier pier there in QB and walk aboard the ship with my 
one little bag they gave me and all my flight gear um, and walk in and, uh, you know, I, I put my, my gear in the paraloft and then uh, went into the ready room, which was right next door. And they're like, hey, welcome back. Uh, you know, and it was, yeah, we got to go to Longapo. So, you know, it's like, go down, get out of my bag, put on some clothes, cross the river and into a Longapo uh, with all my squadron brethren. So Very I nice. like that. And that, yeah. yeah. And that couldn't have been um, more different. There couldn't have been more difference in the world from where you'd been to where you ended up in a yep. matter of hours. Right. Exactly. So, yep. And then they had me back in the saddle. Like the next day they put me on the flight schedule and I went out flying and life was good. Nice. How many hours, how many hours in the F-14 did you log Bo? Um, I ended up with a little over 1500 hours. I had over 500 traps, of which like 150, almost 200 were at night. Of course. <laughs> it never failed. Every time we had dual carrier battle ops, we were the night carrier for whatever reason. The other ships have mid-rats. We're having breakfast. Right. There you go. That's great. That's just great. Yep. Uh, so I, I know you had your hand on the on the handle the, the night you were single engine. Actually, it was the night you you ended up diverting to uh, Wake, right? Right. You had your hand mm-hmm. on the handle, one hand on the flashlight, trying to help right. out. Exactly. Uh, did you ever have your hand on the handle any other times? I probably tickled it a couple of times. Uh, I nothing that really stands out. Just kind of one of those oh shit, you know. And then you know you start for it. <laughs> Every time on the cat shot you never put your hand above the thing because you don't want to think that you're saluting. So I would always take the cat shot with my, you know, I would always tickle the handle. So I knew where it was because if anything went wrong on the cat shot, you ain't got a whole lot of time to get out. And so I would be able to just reach down and pull and go if I had to. F-14 had uh, command eject. So um, e- either, either of pilot or Rio could punch both out, right? So yeah, there were there's a, actually a selector switch in the back or a handle in the back. So if I pulled it to the back, uh, which it would so show MCO because originally the position was cons- going to be the missile control officer, but we went ah, that's that's not cool. Um, <laughs> so if I pull the handle, we both go. If the pilot pulls, we both go. But if it's in the forward, the pilot mode, if I pull the handle. In the back seat, I go, but he stays with the bird. Um, and that actually happened to an F-14 uh, where they were doing a, a uh, orientation flight. And they had it set to pilot because they had a surface warfare guy in the back. Okay. And they were doing the negative G checks. And the guy started floating because his harnesses weren't tight. Oh, shit. And he reached down. Let me and pull myself back the, in. Yeah, he pulled yeah. the yellow, yellow and black thing. And the next thing you know, he's... Uh, taking a silk let down and the oh. pilot's got a, a convertible got wow. it back and landed it. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm guessing that guy's ass was bruised for, oh. for months after that. Right. I mean, Oh my ass. Right. He's floating. <laughs> He's floating and he thinks I'm going to pull myself back down and got one hell of a yeah. ride instead. Gets hit in the yeah. ass with an ejection seat at full speed. Well, kind of like a yeah. mule. <laughs> yeah. So he was a surface warfare captain. So I don't know what happened there. Well, he probably stayed on the surface after that. Yeah. Guessing. Jeez. <laughs> well, you have written down on one of these, not a way to start the cruise. Was that, was that this cruise or? No. Uh-uh. So that would be, 
that was uh, my next deployment. So completed that cruise, my rookie cruise, come home, we get our new guys from the rag. The old guys are, you know, the senior guys are leaving. This is my cruise where I'm going out uh, with a new pilot in the front seat who's a great guy. So this is a guy, right? Uh, first fleet tour, right from the rag type? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, it, and this is his first deployment. So he's a nugget. I'm a second cruise J.O. So I've got enough experience to be dangerous, you know, type thing. You know, I've got a little over 500 hours in the airplane. We take off three plane. The XO is leading. We have a senior lieutenant and a J.O. in his backseat. I've got my guy who's a lieutenant out there. The other two airplanes have the missiles for the missile shoot. And there's a three plane slot to CQ to start deployment. Okay. So we fly up north. Where the ship is, is it's bad weather type thing. So they say, well, we'll, we'll bring a section down. So the XO goes, okay, this sounds like it's going to be varsity. So myself and the experienced lieutenant, you know, he, he, you know, so the XO warlock, he takes uh, uh, dirt in, down. Ike and myself, we stay up in uh, high holding. They get aboard, they taxi, they park them. And then uh, Dirt and his uh, Rio Chums, who's a new guy, when they open the canopy, their seats fire, but they're not strapped in. Oh shit! That's uh, that 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 can that can that that's that terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we're we don't know what happened. Yeah. We're you know we're overhead. All of a sudden, we get told to divert to Point Magoo. So we go to Point Magoo. We land. We actually had a little bit of a, a hydraulic leak or something. And VX fours there. And then a guy who had been in our squadron who had just left, Tex, was there, walked over to VX4 Space and said, hey, we need some help. He happened to be there, and he goes, okay, you know, four-wheel line's great. Yeah, come on. So they look at our plane, and there's something. They fix it, and we're good to go. We spend the night, and then the next day, call down and get told, you're bringing the airplane to Miramar, and you guys are going to helo out to the ship now because... Uh, we got to get all the safety bubbas out because there's been an accident. And I'm like, okay, you want to tell me about it? He goes, yeah, really not. And I said, look, you know, we're, we're hearing rumors of something ugly happened with the, one of our airplanes. What happened? And that's when he told me that dirt and chumps were dead. Yeah. Brutal. So one guy died on the ship and the other guy died at UCLA medical center. Hmm. So, so not strapped yeah. in ejection seats fired. Yeah. So what happened? We didn't figure it out till later on. Being the junior Rio, Chums was tasked with bringing the message boards out. Those nice thick metal trifold things that were all your messages were kept on. Yep. All right. And we had told him I had had I'd done that because I'd been the junior guy way back when. It's like just put them here on the left console down low and put your hand down on the trap and they won't hurt you, but they'll stay out of the way there. Well, he. Had apparently put them in his bag and put them in the turtle back. So there's a area in the back canopy behind the Rio seat. There's a ECS tube that goes across and there's a flat plate and we could put bags there. Right. And they, they would just kind of get locked in by that okay. tube. Yeah. What happened is when they trapped the message board came forward and was laying against the actuator for the ejection seat. When the canopy in the F-14, it slides back before it goes up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But when it slid back, that thing fell below, and there's an actuator pin that sticks out the back. And the F-14, when you when you pull the handle, that thing actually goes up. 
So the message board is now underneath it. So it started the sequence and everything went. And of course, once you're on deck and chained down and you safe your seats, you unstrap everything. Because yeah, right, right. Now, if anything happens, you want to be able to get out and get egress be, quickly. Yeah. Right? Get yeah. up. Right. Exactly. Then the seats fired. So the seats were actually, so they had safe the seats. They were saved. Yeah. And, and so, the seats were yeah, saved. they unstrapped. Not, not ever thinking there was. But a that actuators, oh, you know, you're God. just yeah. safing the handles. It's not till you actually put the pins in that you safe the actual actuators. Yeah. Oh and the plane gosh. captains do that. We didn't, we didn't do that as pilots. We just safe the handle on the, you know, the ejection handle by moving. We had an elbow yeah. knocker in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the area. Um, yeah. Oh the God, only time you horrific. ever, you put in pins as an air crew. Well, first of all, you have to be if out of the seat because you can't get to it. Yeah. Is if you're, if you're on, you're on across country. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's just, that's just horrific. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's why naval aviation is so damn dangerous. You know, people don't understand, you know, all aviation is, but naval aviation is a special breed of its own when it comes to uh, risk and danger, I swear. Yeah, so we flew down to Miramar, and then it was like, this would be a couple of days before you get back out to the ship. I spent the night, had to get a room in the queue because I got rid of my apartment and all my shit was in storage. Sure. Had to go pick up the flight surgeon when he flew in with uh, their flight gear for analysis. Yeah, that was not fun. So... That's that's just not the way you want to start the cruise, man. No, I mean, indeed. holy cow. Well, uh, two weeks later, we lost another jet. Oh, my gosh. Well, okay. Well, what was that scenario? The SDO that called me to tell me about certain chumps. I just got done flying, landed. We were doing bear ops at the time. So we were almost to the Philippines. We're halfway between Guam and the Philippines. We were doing this trying to hide from the bear thing, which you always do anytime a carrier battle group goes across. So I just came back from flying and debriefing. I just walked in my stateroom, phone rings, and it's the same SDO going, need you back in the ready room. Uh, Skipper wants everybody back in the ready room right now. And it's like, what is going on? He goes, Skull and Sox uh, have ejected and they're looking for him now. It's like, oh, shit. So I hang up, run up to the ready room, you know, not that's real far away from from my stateroom. And, and, and just to interject there. real quick, this is another mutual friend. This is the skull I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Speaking of small world. Yeah. I walk into the ready room and I walk right up to the SDO and I said, do not ever call me again because every time you call me, we've lost a jet and people are missing or killed. Yeah. Because, you know, it's just one of those things you're like, holy shit. So we all get in the radio room. Skipper walks in. He goes, all right, guys, Golden Sox ran out of gas. They ejected. And we have no fucking idea where they are. Oh, boy. This and is daytime so, or nighttime, Bo? Daytime. Okay. So late afternoon. I'm shocked. Shocked. <laughs> yeah. So what had happened to get this was we were flying total MCON, extended range caps, intercepts of bears to confuse them. If we had normally intercepted them at 100 miles, now we were trying to intercept them at two, 250 miles away. We were trying to get to where the Baron did not overfly the carrier battle group before it got to the Philippines. Yeah. Was the, you know, and you know, it's the cat and mouse of the Cold War that we always played. Because of that, and I was the Rio training officer, and when they came up with this whole new tactic and everything, I had I briefed everybody and I said, nobody launches without an INS. And the XO was like, nobody launches without an INS. Skipper goes, nobody launches without an INS. Well, they were on alert launch, and because we're MCON, they have a SENS cable into the airplane to get the alignment. 
So take a full alignment, cock the airplane, shut it down so that you can do a rapid alignment yeah. with the SENS cable in. Well, before he rotated INS, the ground guys, because you always want to be, beat brand X without the signal to pull the SENS cable, pull the SENS cable. So it dumped their alignment. So they launched in IMU, which you weren't, they weren't supposed to do. Yeah. Or not recommended, let's put it that way. But yeah. So the winds were off. You can fly with an IMU and put winds in and all that, but the winds at altitude were much different than forecast. And, you know, they got to the bear and were on the bear and then they took their cut away when it was time, when they got relieved and they got a vector to get the mother, but they weren't getting the mother. And, um, okay. So, so mother is the ship. And also, uh, you talked about the cable. And so what it is, they're, they're plugged into a cable and the ship is actually sending latitude, longitude position to the airplane. It takes yep. about 10 minutes for an INS to spool up and orient itself in the world. So once they pull that early, it may well not have tried to align it at all. Right. Correct. Yeah. And SIN stands for ships inertial navigation system. So we're getting data for, from mom, uh, via that, you know, okay. If you're not in MCON, it actually can be transmitted and you can pick it up that way. But M-Con. normally we do it by MCON, uh, mission control, which means nothing is transmitting. No yeah, one's transmitting. So, so you're not yeah. using navigation. You're not using radio. You're completely. Yep. No tack in, no talking. Yeah. Uh, nothing. Um, you know, and then only certain search radars would be used. Okay. Right here. So anyway. Uh, so they fast where they are and they're like, yeah, we need help. So everything lights up because we, they break MCON because we got an aircraft in distress. They don't pick up the tack in. That gives you an idea how far away they are. A couple hundred miles. It sounds like to start. Okay. If you're over land, you look down and kind of go, well, I'm seeing these kind of mountains. Well, when you're over the ocean, it's like, yeah, I see water. Um, <laughs> so they, yeah. <laughs> you know, that didn't help. I so the literally they, cloud that looks like a, a exactly. Bear. <laughs> so they're so they ask them what the clouds are around. And they have the meteorologists in there going, okay, based upon what they're describing, it looks like they're here. So looks like they need to go this way, roughly. So they do that. They keep going. They're not getting any luck. Nobody is finding them. Different people are hearing them, and they're taking plots and stuff like that. Gas keeps going down, so they tell them to. Reduce drag, so they blow off their drop tanks. They fire off their they they jettison their missiles to try to reduce drag. Uh, keep going, and then finally they out of gas. They their tanks are dry. Oh boy! They eject, come down pretty close to each other, land in the water, get their rafts tied together. Well, meanwhile, back at the ship, the exo or the skipper is telling us. He goes, "Well, they have no idea where they are." They literally were saying, okay, when did you talk to them and what time was that? And they would plot it and then they would draw a 250 mile circle around each one of those plots. And where they converge, they go, this is where we're going to go search for them because this is most likely where they are. Wow. (laughs) In the middle of the ocean. Middle of the big old Pacific. Yeah, this is, uh, I got my, my palms are sweating right now. I mean, I know. All right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So they're going out and people are searching and they get close to each other. They come together. They tie their rafts together. So it's like, I want to say it's like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Right. So people are out searching and we end up not finding them before nightfall. 
So as the sun's starting to go down, it's like the Rio is an experienced guy. Uh, he's, you know, talk to him later because he had been my roommate on the first cruise. He's just like, we're not going <laughs> to die. They'll come look for us tomorrow. You know, positive attitude. Let's go. Come on. You know, so. <laughs> come on, man. Yeah. So anyway, so the next day they're out searching. The XO of one of the A7 squadrons, he's at the end of his search uh, pattern his his radio right and right as he's okay. about ready to turn on the adf he picks up them transmitting and it's on his nose so he continues out and finds them oh my gosh and so he's he marks over top calls it in and they go okay we got your mark you can go ahead and come on back he goes nope send a tanker my way and a relief for me i'm not leaving these guys because he had been in an air wing where they had done the same thing and, and they him. did a mark on top. And then when they went back to where they thought they were, they weren't there. Yeah. And then you had to do a complete new search. So he stayed there until the S3 was over top to stay, stay on station till uh, to could get a helo nice. to him. Yeah. yeah. And there, there's another guy who never paid for a drink. Right. If a black line was in the bar. Right. So, um, Basically, about 24 hours after they ejected, they were back on board the ship. So they were swimmers for uh, quite a yep, while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we sent a TARPS bird, one of our airplanes, over with a TARPS pod, which is a tactical air reconnaissance pod system, uh, which is a full array of uh, cameras over there and filmed. And when we looked closer at the thing, the airplane was actually floating below them. Oh my gosh! You could see it was it, it was thunken. Yeah, you could see it. I mean, yeah. but the, you know, now that I don't know how deep it was because the Pacific is a very clear ocean, so yeah. you can yeah. See so it, it hit buoyancy and just kind of stayed oh, yeah. wherever it was, yeah. maybe thirty or forty feet. Yeah. Of course, it's a big airplane. You know, yeah. big as a damn yeah. tennis court. Wow. Yeah. What a story. I think. Um, I think Skull repeat. Uh, how do you know him? He's at my company. I've known okay. him for fifteen. 17 he years. was uh, yeah. down in Kingsville uh, when I got got down oh, okay. as an instructor. Yeah. We we passed like I mean he, we we had there was a little mm-hmm. overlap, but I I met him there. Okay, okay. Uh, you you mentioned uh, Bo uh, just as you started to tell that story. Uh, uh, hiding from the bear. Uh, explain that. I know what you meant, but explain that for the non aviators out there. So in the Cold War era, which this is. But 86-ish, so uh, we're still not – we've got a cold stand-up. The, the Soviets would send their Russian bears, the Tu-95 bear, out to fly, find the carrier battle group and, and get a picture of them flying over the carrier battle group. And uh, so we had two missions. One, we intercepted these guys at long range. Um, and we would escort them. And then if they came down to be near the, uh, the carrier, we always made sure there was an F-14 between them and the carrier. So if they took any pictures, there was an F, there was an, a U.S. Navy airplane between them and the ship. <laughs> That's awesome. And so okay. it was this cat and mouse that we played with them all the time. Okay. And we would try to sneak across. Okay. Nice. Thank you. We used to that. see them from the ship. And the, for those that don't know a TU-95, I, I, 
I guess the closest we have is the the B fifty two. Except the B fifty two is a jet. Mm-hmm. The ninety five is this huge monster airplane with uh, I, I think it's four engines, but it's counter rotating props. Yep, two and, props per engine. Yeah, and uh, tail gunner. I mean, it's it's the only the greatest in fifties technology, Russian technology. <laughs> And when you join on them and you're flying a wing on them, your airplane is vibrating. Oh, yeah. From you the- can feel the vibration <laughs> from those kind of rotating props. It's like, holy smokes. I, I can just imagine what it's like inside oh, that no. airplane. Oh, oh, those absolutely. guys must walk out, you know, shaking. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's, that's not yeah. good. That's crazy. Wow. Jeez. So, okay. So black lions, uh, had, a, had kind of a black cloud hanging over them. It seemed like, cause later on, um, that was the squadron that, uh, I'm sure it was after you'd left, but, uh, that was the squadron that lost, um, a couple planes with, uh, what wasn't that, uh, Kara Holt, wasn't Kara Holt green in that squadron? Yeah, she was. That was long after I'd yeah. left, but yeah. you know, it was cyclical cause they'd had great luck and then they, you know, we had, so the previous cruise, remember the airplane I single engined, right? With mm-hmm. we got it, they got it to the Philippines. They left it on the beach deck, and the two maintenance guys took it out and flew it, and they ended up uh, crashing, and both of them died. In in that plane? In that very plane, yeah. Like on a on a FCF functional check flight after they oh functional check gosh. flight. Compet- well, they it was it wasn't a functional check flight. It was a confidence flight off the beach deck. Oh my gosh! We were actually in Hong Kong in a port call in Hong Kong when that happened. All right, so just to put things into perspective for listeners, mm-hmm. that um, I, I'm just trying to get, and this doesn't have to be accurate. You had a 17-year career as a, a naval officer in the air wing, a- aviation um, right. mm-hmm. branch of the Navy, right? Yeah. If you had to just give me a wag, in your 17 years, how many pilots, RIOs, or NFOs in general do you, did you know that uh, paid the ultimate price? Of the guys I knew, both from flight school and then who I served with, I was out of fingers and almost out of toes. Yeah, and that that's 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 yeah. I mean, after my when I completed my first fleet tour, between guys I knew in flight school, guys in the air wing, I think I had eight or nine had been killed. Isn't that something? One of the guys I went through flight school with. He got killed on the East Coast, and it was like the night from hell. They lost three Tomcats in one night. Oh, my gosh. Like a midair and a midair type deal? Yeah. A midair and then something else. Yeah, I don't know what else. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's a very unforgiving profession. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember uh, when I checked into Meridian for, for jet training, the Commodore, the commander of the air wing, came and gave us our class um, a little welcome aboard, and Oh, no, there were maybe 15 of us in the room, uh, like four Marines and the rest were Navy guys. And he says, um, Hey, I want you to look to your left and look to your right. So, you know, everybody did that. And he says, um, if you spend a career in Naval aviation, one of those people you just looked at won't, won't be here, uh, at the end because of it's a risky business. And I, I thought, well, that seems kind of excessive and holy shit. He was spot on. Actually, he yeah. was more than spot on. It depended on where you were, right? Absolutely. We're not even talking about being shot at here. These, this is just, uh, just training. Yeah, just normal ops. You know, it's a hazardous. It is a hazardous undertaking, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. So if they wonder why guys with gold wings walk around with a little bit of swagger, that's why. Yeah. Bingo. We're still exactly alive, right. damn it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. Probably the things that these men and women are asked to do and, and go out and do, and it's amazing. Uh, these are amazing people. These are not people that are average. They're well above average. Like you say, they walk around with a swagger for a reason. So proud to be associated with them. Yeah, boy, me too. I feel humbled. It's, I feel humbled too. I thank you for your service, Bo. If I if I forget to say it, I'm saying it right now. Um, I never flew around with a Rio, and um, you know we used to make fun of, of uh, uh, BNs and uh, and crews that had extra. We'd say, I'd rather have the extra, you know, three hundred pounds of fuel. But uh, yeah. you know, on a dark night when things are going to shit, I bet um, <laughs> you know you you were worth your weight in gold, basically, right? I know it. I know for a fact. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Well, that's what we intended to be there. You know, when your pilot's having his night in the barrel, I mean, being a Rio is tactician, uh, technician, psychologist. There you go. You know, <laughs> all of that. I was going to say diplomat. <laughs> yeah. He's coming off. He's crappy pass, you know, out of sight, whatever. And it's just like, okay, let's get up over our feet. Let's turn down one. Okay. Uh, Let's put that one behind us. Let's get a good one. Sometimes you just give a Buffalo call. Ah, we were out of cycle. You know, especially in pitching deck and just go, ah, we were out of cycle with the deck. Don't worry about it. You flew a good pass because that probably is what happened. He got out of cycle with the deck. You know, if the deck's coming up when you're coming down, they're going to pickle you every time because they're afraid you're going to break the airplane. So you just got to do that. What I learned was I just talk really calm and quiet. And I used to tell my guys, I said, if you ever hear me raise my voice, whatever I'm telling you to do, I need you to do it right now because I'm recognizing we're going to go into extremis. I don't think I ever did raise my voice in the airplane. Um, thank, thank goodness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, well, not for an emergency. I might have raised my voice like break <laughs> you know, because somebody's coming on us, but yeah. break left out. Uh, yeah, Lawman talked about that in one of his shows. He's talked about, you know, you could tell a lot from a guy just the way he sounded on the radio. Was, you know, was he was he angry? Was he frightened? Was he, you know, calm? Were things going well? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got to fake it. You know, if you're you're getting a little bit of the vertigo, you don't say anything about it. You know, there was a couple right. nights where I swear to God we were coming aboard upside down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but we weren't. Been there, done <laughs> right that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I I was certain I was uh, joining on a tanker at a ninety, you know, at knife on knife edge. I thought we were all going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but we so weren't. Which, we were wings level, but I swear we were ninety at ninety degrees. Yep. Everything was leaning. Which mm-hmm. is a good segue into that's not our tanker. How we almost flew into the water at night. I oh, think that's probably yeah. a good place to wind it up. That's not our tanker. I want to hear that. Yeah, flying. Uh, in the med now, I'm in, uh, I'm in my department head tour and uh, launch with a nugget off the boat. We're, we're scheduled to take gas from an A6 up at 10,000 feet. So, boom, get off, um, you know, take off, climbing out, um, get out, you know, outside. Now we turn back in at 10,000 looking for the tanker. And the F-14 has an IFF interrogator on it. And so you can dial in the codes for, the, and there are certain codes that every air, wing airplane has based on their side number. So I know what side number the tanker is. So I plug it in. I do a little bit of interrogating because there's a whole lot of traffic, you know, in the med. There's a lot of air traffic, right? Sure. So I find him, uh, find him in pulse search, lock him, 
double check, make sure that's him. I go, okay, I've, I've locked the tanker. We're at 10, uh, join up. Now the A6, the KA6s especially, their external lighting sucked. They were usually but, old, right? The older ones. Yeah, they're old. And But the one thing is they have this really bright white tail light, right? So if you're coming in from behind, you just get on that sure. white light and you join on them, right? So um, so I, I, I tell the pilot, hey, here's, here's where they are, uh, you know, go, you know, go join, you know, go join on him. So he goes, yeah, I see the tail. I see the bright white light, you know, the tail light. And I said, okay, good. So continue. And I'm like, shit, we should be aboard by now. You know, just one of those things. We should be, you know, I should be seeing other lights of the six and I'm not. And then I'm watching, I'm watching it drift to the right. So the track, you know, the lock on the thing is drifting to the right to the point that we break lock. You know, so we, you know, it exceeded the antenna gimbals. And I'm like, what the, you know, so, you know, now, you know, now your spidey senses are up, right? And I'm, I'm like, what is going on? And then I look and the altimeter is rounding down through 6,000 feet. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And you started at 10. Yes. <laughs> so I'm like, Shit. what are you, I, you know, it's just one of those things I said, Love, love your wings and pull up. We're at 6,000. I said, what are you joining? On? He goes, I'm joining on the, on the A6, the white light down there. It's the freaking mass light of a freighter in the Met. Oh, but, boy. <laughs> yeah. Because of in the Med, there's that haze that's always there. You're going to have to get a whole lot slower. <laughs> yeah. It's going to get a whole lot slower and a whole lot lower. And I don't want to, I don't think they have the right kind of gas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, shit. But we do everything and go back, get up at 10, find him again, join on the actual A6, get our gas, and go on our merry way doing our mission. But oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, you know, so those are, yeah, those are the things where Good that's catch. where Rio helps. Good catch. Good catch, Bo. Uh, so were you in a, a, like a shallow descent or was it a pretty rapid descent? shallow i you know it wasn't like we rapidly got down there but just one of those things you're flying the circle you know and and of course you're kind of expecting a little bit because you you know when so here's the a6 you know as you're coming in you're gonna kind of you know because he's in a constant left turn so you're yeah. gonna ease in and then fall into position so it's not unusual to feel you know yourself go down yeah. but it was so great it was a gradual descent because it, oh you know God. it wasn't like what the hell, you know, where you felt the airplane dropping. That's almost worse, I think, because it's yeah. less, less to clue you in that bad things are happening. You know, I, I guarantee most C-fits happen that way, you know. Oh, yeah. Control flight into terrain. That's terrifying. Sorry. Absolutely. That's just terrifying. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, that's, uh, that's, a good, uh, that's a good story. And that's, that also makes my palms. My palms are sweating right now. <laughs> Uh, no just because I'm seeing that. I mean, I'm, I'm I was there with you for for a second, yeah. and then you, when you said it was the mast on a freighter, uh, that, uh, that that's like uh, that kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, of the ragu story. Ragu, where he, yeah, uh, where he joined on a. We thought he was. He joined on a buoy in the uh, bay off of Iwakuni. His wing, his his lead did, and it scraped he scraped him off. Right. Yeah. He's great. Right. His we. Yeah. Anyway, he woke oh up with God. water coming in the cockpit, going, "What's going on?" Why is this happening? Yeah. 
It's not supposed to be wet in here. Yeah. So. Well, thank you, Bo, for uh, your service, and thank you for thank you. your great stories. Uh, you're a you're a, you're our first Rio. I I hope uh, this is the beginning of more uh, Rio stories, because uh, well, they're they're from a different perspective, and and I learned several things today that I never knew. Right. That's great. Yeah. Um, we need to say uh, thank you also to our best friend Dave Hamilton. If it wasn't for Dave, it wasn't for you and Dave, but especially Dave for, uh, you know, giving us the, uh, the technical know-how and bandwidth and Dave over at the Mac geek gap. That's right. Mac geek gab.com. I, uh, I also have to uh, recognize our, uh, our favorite sponsor, Robin's bird brain designs. And I have, I had the coaster in my hand to set it on and I was going to, what do you got one? Tell me you have one. I think so. Yes, I do. Uh, so I, do I was going to bring it down and I say, look, this is mine. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I got to, I got to talk while I do it. So I stay on camera and of course it's invisible there unless I get it really close oh, yeah. to my face. So there's my airplane tail number and my airspeed indi- indicator. Yeah. yeah she she can do e- does it all. Damn near anything you need uh, laser engraved. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll make it a point to put mine up because uh, they were cool. They got the, they got our old squadron logo on them. I put call signs for all my family on there. And then, um, as you can tell by the background noise, we need to say thank you to the Dos Gringos for letting us uh, use their awesome music. Great stuff. Great music. Great stuff. And and you are a blast to talk to, Bo. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. And any other time, let me know. Please come back, yeah. And for uh, all of our listeners, don't forget to, you say it, buddy. Say it before you call. Oh. Yeah, before I cough again, there ain't. Until next week, stay safe and check six. There I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond of all the shit I was wearing on that day. Now an F-16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse With all that stuff supposed to save your life But we knew there was no way Cause when you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over Like the song says, it's over It's crashing time! Lousy, rotten, karmic retribution